Welcome back. And on today's Locked on Dimebacks podcast, we got Ben Caspic of Locked on Giants on the pod to discuss Freddie Freeman to the Giants, Chris Bryant to the Rockies, and of course, talk about those offseason moves by those pesky Giants, Carlos Rondon, among others. So let's jump right into it. You are Locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Miller Thomas here, I'm a multimedia journalist, and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. I'm there, you can see all my latest work, from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. Of course, thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you, but without further ado, there's a lot of Big baseball news going on right now. We're in the offseason, the NFL offseason is popping too. So, of course, we're only here to talk baseball, but we got to bring on none other than Ben Caspic of Locked on Giants. Ben, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Probably a lot better than the last time we talked. I'm sure I was complaining about the, the lockout and all that. So the fact that baseball oh, is sure. back, it's, it's just fantastic. Yeah, it's been, you know, like a reinvert, reinvigorating experience, I guess, uh, just because the free agent frenzy is something I really wanted post-lockout. I thought we were going to have like three weeks. It was going to be a sprint with all these free agents, and that's kind of how it's been. And we still got some big names out there, Correa, Trevor Story, especially that shortstop market. But last night, we had a bombshell drop, Ben, around, what, 8, 9 o'clock Pacific time. We got breaking news. Freddie Freeman to the L.A. Dodgers. And it's something that's been reported. It sounded like the Dodgers were one of the most serious suitors for Freddie Freeman. It sounds like the Red Sox were in the mix, too, maybe the Rays. But this was something, you know, as two NL West division hosts, we did not want to see. We did not want to see the rich get richer. But at the end of the day, it's hard for me to be mad at the Dodgers when the Braves didn't want to pony up the money. But, Ben, when you saw across the ticker, Freddie Freeman to the Dodgers, it's official, breaking news, Ken Rosenthal, Jeff Poston, they're all dropping the tweets. What were your thoughts when you saw that? So many thoughts. I mean, it's just, so I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit like numb to the whole thing because we've been through this before to an extent. Like uh, when Mookie Betts was acquired in that trade and then they extend him, we had the same exact kind of doom and gloom outlook. It's going to be impossible to compete with that team outlook, uh, they acquire Trey Turner and Max Scherzer at the trade deadline. It's the same type of feeling, but you're right. The rich get richer. It's like that team was close to a hundred win team looked like on paper regardless. And then they go out and pick up not just like a really good player, but when they get these guys, we're, we're talking about like <laughs> hall of fame. Yeah. Or top one, you know, just like yeah. the, the best in the game bets and, Trey Turner and Freddie Freeman. So it was already going to be a tall task to compete with them. And it just got that much tougher. But we've said this before and crazier things have happened. I mean, nobody thought, including us, that the Giants would compete with them last year. And they did. And they won the division. So, uh, you know, not saying that it's likely, but yeah, the rich get richer for sure. Yeah, it's not like basketball where if you put together a super team, your odds of winning a championship go up tremendously. Now, 
Freddie Freeman is a tremendous player, so their World Series odds are probably going to be the same. I mean, they lost Corey Seager. You added Freddie Freeman. That's probably an upgrade, but it's not like changing the world. But overall, my biggest feeling when I saw this is, of course, I hate the Dodgers. I hate that they're getting a superstar uh, you know, of the level of Freddie Freeman. But at the end of the day, I'm more mad at the other baseball teams. I'm more mad at the Atlanta Braves for choosing Matt Olsen over Freddie Freeman. I'm mad at other teams for not, you know, matching the offer of a Freddie Freeman or of the L.A. Dodgers because it sounded like Tampa Bay, they were willing to go five years, 150. That sounds like a really great offer, but sounded like Freddie really won that sixth year. And if the Dodgers were the only team willing to give Freddie exactly what he wanted, like, I can't get mad at the Dodgers for doing that. If he was available for anyone that was willing to sign him, yeah, it's more likely he goes to the Dodgers than other teams because of the big market stars are already there. But I do believe small market teams or other teams not named the Dodgers could have had Freddie Freeman for the right price tag. And at the end of the day, it chose the Dodgers because the Dodgers were the only team willing to meet the demands and the needs of Freddie Freeman. And I look at the Braves, I'm like, Six years for Freddie Freeman versus eight years of Matt Olson. I'm like, you had to give up the farm to get Matt Olson. I don't understand what was so what what they're why they went this direction. Basically, I'd understand it from the Braves' direction. Like, do they think Freddie Freeman is going to be done in the next couple of years? Do they think his prime is not that much longer? Would they rather just have you know the front half of Olson's prime where you get ages like 28, 29, 30? Like. What do you think the thinking was? And would you rather just, would you, as if you were a GM, Ben, would you rather have the eight years of Matt Olson or the six years of Freddie Freeman? I think it's kind of a wash. The The big difference maker, as you alluded to, is the the age. Matt Olson is, mm-hmm. uh, he's 27. He's going to turn 28 later this month. And Freddie Freeman is 32 and he's going to turn 33 in September. So, they are about five years apart, and that's kind of the logic is they're looking at an aging curve. And they're, that's the thing, though. I kind of agree with what you were kind of alluding to is that uh, I'm not sure I'm expecting Freddie Freeman to just break down all of a sudden. To me, he seems like the type of guy who's going to age pretty well. I understand yeah. you'd rather sign him to a five-year deal given his age, but if that's what it takes to get him, I am a little bit surprised that they went the direction of getting – you know, a player who's going to provide probably similar production, maybe a little worse production, maybe just kind of roughly the same. It's hard for me yeah. to say that they're both really like, good. It's like 90 percent Freddie Freeman, I feel like. Yeah. With the chance he could be better. He's that got mm-hmm. he's that kind of player. But for the next three years, they're probably both going to give you similar production. So it's really just the four five and six. And so I get it from the Braves perspective. But also you do you would think like coming off the World Series with how much he meant to that team. Plus, you got to give up your best prospects. It is a little bit odd that they weren't willing to just kind of reach out a little bit and give him, you know, maybe sacrifice that one year that you're not going to love that contract to get a player that means so much to their team to come back. Yeah, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I think that's the right phrase to say, the the right cliche, because... Like you said, he's the heartbeat of the Braves. Like, he's the face of the franchise. When you think Atlanta Braves, you think Freddie Freeman. He's the first face that pops in your head. And the idea that they couldn't go the sixth year after the MVP season they had in 2020, the fantastic run he had in 2021, the idea that it's better for my team to trade my top, you know, for my top 14 prospects in the deal and then 
immediately extend that guy instead of just paying the dude I already have here. Like I could still have all those prospects and then have Freddie Freeman. And then that could usher in the next era. If you're really worried about the last few years of Freddie Freeman, then guess what? Those prospects you have, they can help usher in that next era. But now you're really putting all your eggs in the Matt Alston basket. And that might end up being the right decision. Like, let me not just rip the Braves entirely because like you said, Matt Alston could end up long-term being better than Freddie Freeman. Like based off last year's numbers, I, you know, I'm not the big war guy, but war does say Matt Olson was better than Freddie Freeman. And if you care about home runs, stuff like that, like there are some metrics you could look at that would tell you he was at least as good or maybe better than Freddie Freeman in certain areas. So you're at least getting a guy that's equivalent to Freddie Freeman. But I just don't understand the whole haul and the premium you had to pay to not only acquire Olson, then you had to pay a premium to also just keep him on your team when you could just paid one premium instead of two for Freddie Freeman. So that's mostly where I disagree with the Braves. Like when you look at the the trade for Matt Olson, do you feel like the Braves overpaid for him or do you feel like it was just enough? Like how do you feel about that, the the trade in terms of value? I think it was pretty fair, but when you have an opportunity to spend similar cash and not give up the prospects and get a similar player back, at least for the foreseeable future, and you make a great point, the young guys can help you avoid the pitfalls that often go along with having a bad contract towards the end of it. So now you don't have that guys, those guys, and that can lead to its own pitfalls. And so this is what the A's do. If the A's are targeting your young players in a trade for their star players, they're probably going to hit on one or two of those guys. They historically do. And so that honestly makes me believe in the prospects even more. I know there's some questions about, you know, the hitting ability of the centerpiece of that, deal but he's a kind of elite defensive player and you know the sky's the limit for these guys but yeah I'm with you just uh it it didn't make a ton of sense to me I I get it the age the age is a big factor I mean five years is a big difference when you're looking at how a guy's gonna age but uh Freddie Freeman we haven't started we haven't really seen the signs of decline at all yet yeah like you said like Players of like his elk, when you're a Hall of Fame level player playing first base or one of those corner infield positions, a lot of those guys usually do age gracefully. Like the big poppies of the world, they were productive until age 40. Like a lot of those guys can be really good until the until their late 30s. And if you went the five or six years of Freddie Freeman, he would have been done with that contract at 38. By the time Mac Olsen is done with his contract, he's going to be like, 35, 36 years old. So they're kind of ending around the same time in terms of age. You're just getting more of that prime on the front end for Matt Alston. But looking at this Dodgers lineup now, Ben, I mean, I was trying to figure out the best lineups of all time. I, I did a quick Google search today when I was at work and I went on Bleacher Report. They had some article. I think like eight of the top 12 lineups of all time, according to Bleacher Report, are like from 1932 or something like that. Like all the best lineups are pre-Jackie Robinson when there was only Caucasian players in the sport and there was no people of color. So I'm like, I don't know how good those lineups actually were. So from your history of watching baseball, you know, maybe just in your lifetime, Ben, do you feel like this Dodgers team on paper could be the best lineup you've ever seen? I think that they've done it before and they're going to do it again. (laughs) Yeah, like a couple years ago when they've got, you know, Betts and Seager and uh, everybody in the lineup is really good. Pretty much everybody in the lineup for the last few years, even if you're hitting eighth or ninth on the Dodgers, would be, you know, three or four on a lot of teams. And that's the case this year. For me, it's like the three at the top when you're looking at Betts, Freeman, and Turner as a some combination of your top three in your lineup probably. And then, oh, by the way, you've got 
Muncie and Will Smith and Justin Turner and Chris Taylor and Cody Cody Bellinger, you know, hi, hiding down in the the last guy you mentioned is the guy who won MVP like two seasons ago. Like he's, he's like, like a forgotten dude in the lineup right. now. He's a scrub now, right? I mean, yeah, he's he's the guy who they don't even need him. But if if he gets back to being what he was, he won the MVP. <laughs> he the MVP form. He's hitting eighth. You know, Gavin Lux was a top. He was considered the best prospect in the game uh, when he made his debut. Hasn't quite worked out yet, but he figures to kind of be the odd man out in this in this depth chart. And so he'll probably see some playing time. But yeah. And then AJ Pollock kind of hiding out, you, you know, D-backs fans, of course, That's familiar. Casual. Yeah, like I said, he's kind of a middle of the order type of guy for a lot of teams. He was for the D-backs and he's kind of just ninth in this Dodgers team. So, yeah, I mean, it very get well. On the could, field. Yeah, it very well may be the best lineup we've ever seen. And they're pushing the envelope each and every year, it seems. Yeah, I knew it was a dumb question when I asked because I was like, uh, when they acquired Mookie Betts, like, this might be the best lineup I've ever seen. I mean, last year they're running out basically the same lineup. You just had Seager in instead of Freddie Freeman, and Seager just got $300 million this offseason. So I think their lineup was stacked re- regardless of whether yeah. Freddie Freeman was coming. Uh, I always bring it up, but the fact that they freaking got Trey Turner and that Max Scherzer deal, like he's a freaking salary dump i'm trying not to curse on this but it honestly makes me so mad that they got trey turner i didn't care that they got max scherzer but seeing the the fact that he just got backdoored in that deal like oh we're just gonna throw trey turner in this deal because we don't pay him anymore now all of a sudden trey turner is a 25 to 30 home run guy while being the fastest player in baseball and getting on base tremendously and elite defense and can hit for average he's like can do everything now all of a sudden. so i really hate the lineup uh no well, i love the lineup i just hate the dodgers <laughs> i think this is really why i want I'm really fired up about that Trey Turner stuff. So, yeah, like I said, it was a dumb question probably. This Dodgers lineup is going to be stacked regardless. So, Freddie Freeman definitely going to bring a purpose to that Dodgers lineup. Like, one other man who discovered his purpose, Ben. Have you ever heard of this athlete called Tim Tebow? I sure have, and I hear that he has an audio book. <laughs> that is right, Ben. He does have an audio book. He must already have it on your nightstand, I could tell. Are you ready to discover your purpose and leave an impact wherever you go? Mission Possible, written and read by New York Times bestselling author and athlete Tim Tebow, encourages you to find your inspiration, pursue your purpose, and create a life your for and create a life for yourself that counts. Ignite a new spark in your life through this new inspirational listen. Mission Possible by Tim Tebow is available wherever audiobooks are sold. Beautiful stuff. And also. Thank you for making Locked On Dimebacks your first listen every day. Locked On MLB Prospects host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Ben. That wasn't the only big news that dropped yesterday. We had to start off with the Freddie Freeman stuff because... I mean, I think that was the biggest in-division move that we saw yesterday. But we saw two big in-division moves yesterday because your guy, Chris Bent, former San Francisco Giant now for a half season, he signed with the Colorado Rockies. I don't even have the full deal here. What was it, like seven years, 182? I think it was like one. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah, Chris Bryant to the Rockies. I mean, Trevor, Trevor Story's still a free agent. Nolan Arenado traded last season. We'll get into all those weeds, but... When you saw the deal, when you just saw the value, seven years, 182, as a Giants fan, as the guy covering the Giants, would you have been comfortable 
if the Giants gave Chris Bryant that deal to return to the team? Not even close. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess you don't like him that much. Why, Ben? Tell me why. Uh, for a number of reasons. I just, I think that he's kind of shown a general decline over the last few years, and I believe that we saw that in San Francisco. He's He struggled kind of defensively wherever they put him. I would not say that he's above average at either of his primary positions, which are third base and left field, essentially, at this point. Uh, I thought he looked pretty good at first base, but you lose a lot of value if you're only a first baseman, especially when the bat has seemed to be in some decline as well in recent years. I've said numerous times on my show that I kind of view him as a good player, but not a great player. And when you're talking about, I mean, if you're already starting to see some troubling trends and then you go seven years for a guy who's already 30 and showing those signs of slowing down, like we talked about Freeman, there's some concern about that sixth year, but he hasn't really started to show the signs of slowing down not with at Bryant. All. There's a, there are indicators. I mean, he he was at the top of the sport uh, in the first few years of his career. He was 40, 50 percent better than average offensively, and he was a good runner and a good defensive player. But we've seen the bat come down. We've seen the defense start to struggle. I'm just not convinced he's going to age all that gracefully. I think that on the on a contract roughly half this size, I would be happy to have Chris Bryant, but $182 million over seven years to me was a bad contract and it's going to look bad pretty quickly. Yeah, I think we're kind of in agreement on Chris Bryant because I do think he's a really good player. I think he's an all-star level player, but he's not a superstar. He's definitely making a difference on your team, but I don't know if he's $26 million a year difference. If it's like 17, 18 million a year, I think I would be okay with that. And like you said, I don't think I would go seven years because we have seen that gradual decline. He's not the dude that we saw those first few years in Chicago where he was like a 900 OPS guy every season. He's been more around the 830s, getting closer to 800 the last few years. He struggled a little bit during the 2020 season, so short in season, so we don't know. I still think he's a pretty good player, but like you said, the power seems to be diminishing a little bit. That average is coming down. He seems to just not be in his athletic peak like he was when he first broke into the sport. I still think he's a really good player. I still think he's an all-star level player. But like you said, if I could have got that for like three years at a three to four years at an $18 million a year average annual salary, I would have been happy. I don't think I want to pay Chris Bryant into his late thirties as his defense continues to get worse because eventually he's going to have to pick a position. He, you know, like all this stuff is cool going around the diamond. That's cool when you're young, but as you enter your thirties and as you keep aging, like the wear and tear on your body, you can't just keep going from first base and left field. Like it's going to be a lot on Chris Bryant. So he's going to have to pick a home. Like you said, maybe first base is the way to go if that's his best you know, spot defensively, but I don't know. This was a very interesting move by the Colorado Rockies who have just been basically all over the place. The last couple off seasons, like what they did with Nolan Arenado, they traded their franchise star, got a terrible return. And then they said, Hey, St. Louis, we're actually going to keep paying Nolan Arenado. So you can just have him for free. Don't even worry about it. Trevor story. We're just going to let you walk. We don't even want to trade you. We're just going to let you walk, but you know what we're going to do. We're going to go, we're going to go out there and sign a depreciating asset to a massive deal. Like, Ben, what is the game plan right now for the Rockies? Like, what are they doing? Are, are you in on this? Like, maybe you like it. I don't know, but it sounds like you don't. So what are, the, what are the Rockies doing out here? Because it seems like foolishness, to be honest. I think you're you're right. And you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, I think they're delusional, honestly. I think wow. that their owner, uh, okay, Dick Monfort, like 
I've I watched the entire kind of you can't even call it a press conference. It was like a funeral watching Jeff Breidich and Dick Monfort, uh, the GM and owner of the Rockies. Breidich is no longer there. But uh, when they were meeting with the media after they traded Arenado, it was extremely tough to watch. But the owner, Dick Monfort, was talking about how he truly believed they had a competitive team that could win a World Series without Arenado. And let alone with Arnado, they must have thought, I mean, he's out there on record saying he thinks they're like a 94 win team. Like when going into a couple years ago when they ended up having a really bad season that pretty much everyone saw coming. And he said, and, and I believe that he meant it, he really thought that even without Arenado, they had a really good team. So I don't know what their record ended up being in 2021. They did surprisingly finish ahead of the D-backs. Sorry to throw salt on the wound there. Uh, but <laughs> but I mean, I we think... We don't want to bring up 2021. It doesn't least. make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Because even if he thought they had a good uh, team, which is delusional, I think, then why not... Why did they trade Arenado in the first place? And why did they not trade... Trevor Story, or why are they not trying to bring him back? I just don't understand why you reach out on Chris Bryant. Maybe, I mean, I'm just trying to understand this. <laughs> there was some personal stuff with Arenado and the GM. They didn't see eye to eye, and Arenado, I think, kind of wanted out. And then with Story, it could just be that they know that he doesn't want to come back. And so maybe they're like, we, we want a star player, but these guys don't want to be here and Arnold or Bryant does Bryant lives in Vegas or he's from Vegas. And so he, he said when he was traded to the giants, he was thrilled because he wanted to be close to home. So I think that factors in to his desire to be there, but this is not going to go well for the Rockies. It's not that hard to see that uh, as the case. Yeah. And one reason that they can't win 94 games is because Bud Black is their manager. When we were doing these benchmark segments, uh, Ben, you know, the last couple of weeks were basically the whole MLB network. The last segment, we all kind of did the same thing on a certain day. When we were ranking the managers, I was looking, doing my research on Bud Black. He's never won more than 91 games as 14 years as a manager. Never won more than 91 games. He's only managed two 90-win teams in his entire career. He's only been to the playoffs twice in 14 years. So, Right off the bat, they can't win 94 games because Bud Black has never seen the 94-win team in his career. He's never done it. He's never managed that team. So right off the bat, it's not going to happen just from that perspective. But for the Rockies, I don't get it at all. Like, you should have traded Trevor Story. John Gray, he left this free agency too. Another dude that just walked out the door for nothing. That's the point that I think when I talk to Paul Holden next week, he's going to really harp on is the fact that they just let these dudes walk out the door for nothing. And then they're just throwing money willy-nilly at dudes who are not going to be worth it on the back half of those contracts. So uh, it doesn't make any sense what the Rockies are doing. But from Chris Bryant's perspective, this felt like a straight money grab, which I don't really mind because it kind of illustrates my overall point when it comes to MLB stars. They're willing to go to any market. It's kind of like why I don't blame the Dodgers for uh, the Freddie Freeman stuff. It's like these MLB stars are willing to go to any market. We saw Machado and Eric Hosmer go to the Padres before they were good. We see it all over baseball. If your team is willing to overpay for a player, you can get that star player. The Angels were able to get Albert Pujols and CJ Wilson back in the day. Like a lot of these teams, look at the Rangers now. They just pony up the money for a couple all-stars on the market too. Like the Rockies did this because they were willing to overpay Chris Bryant when no one else was. So 
I don't really mind that was a money bag from Chris Bryant because the Rockies want to give him that money. So for other teams, if they want star players, you have to be willing to overpay for these guys. It might not look good. Yes, you might enter the CBT and have to pay some luxury tax penalty, but who cares? If you're getting a star player that's going to put butts in your seats and sell merch and you're going to get more people at the door, ultimately you're going to make more money. So how do you feel about, you know, just my thoughts on it being a money bag, a money grab by Chris Bryant, but the fact is he could have gone anywhere. And if a small market team wants a star player, you just got to pay the guy. I think you're absolutely right. And from a labor perspective, like I'm pro labor and pro kind of what the MLBPA has fought for recently in a lot of ways. And I think that uh, in a lot of ways, the MLBPA really wants players to accept the biggest offer kind of no matter where it is. And I, I understand that because it pushes the envelope. It it progresses player salaries upwards because yeah. you start to get competition for uh, you know, if if the players only want to go somewhere, it kind of suppresses cost. And so from Brian's perspective, I think it had a lot to do with being able to be close-ish to his home in Vegas and spend more time on in West Coast cities. And I think the Rockies were bidding against themselves. I'm really not sure who else was uh, anywhere close to this kind of contract offer. Maybe Seattle was was that six years at 25 million a year or something? I have no idea. But uh, from Brian's perspective, I have no ill will. It is kind of depressing because he probably knows he's going to join a team that's not going to be very good and maybe will be dysfunctional the whole time. So from that perspective, it's kind of that that tells you he probably had no comparable offers at all, because if you have a choice like for me, the Rockies are that dysfunctional right now that even if I'm taking a hundred and 50 million versus or did he get 182 was it yeah if i'm getting yeah, 160 i might consider 22 million dollars less if i don't have to play for the rockies <laughs> yeah as crazy as that sounds he's already made like decent money i think he's made like 62 million through arbitration already so it's not like the guy's broke out here and he needs the extra 20 million by the end of his career he's gonna be worth over 200 million dollars and that just on the field i don't know about endorsements or anything like that do you know if the giants made any offers or if there was anything on the table from the giants perspective to chris Bryant? we haven't heard but they hmm. probably had a sense that he was at that segment of the market and there's i i seriously doubt that they were involved if they knew that he was around even in excess of $100 million, I, I don't think they probably would have gone much beyond 100 uh, for Chris Bryant. Because like you said, I think shorter term, three years is probably was probably never going to happen. But uh, they four years, that like exactly what you said, I think $18 million a year or so. I think that that starts to make sense. But 7 182 there's just no way. And by the way, Giants didn't we hurt we did hear about kevin gosman this is super random but they didn't even make him an offer and oh. he was good and yeah. so that tells you <laughs> something as well they're like gosman was good and the giants didn't want to pay the man imagine chris bryant who was like bryant you know, was good I, sh- I don't mean that i just mean that gosman was always going to get more a more reasonable contract i think five 100 ish was more reasonable of an expectation for gosman whereas when we heard bryant might be about 200 million dollars for me it was just like no, that's not going to happen. Yeah, and it kind of felt like the Giants like dis- rediscovered Gosman or like unpolished him basically, or I guess made him more polished. They they dusted off the diamond and d- found out they had something really valuable uh, there. So I think they probably did feel 
uh, a stronger connection with Gosman as opposed to a midseason rental with Chris Bryant. But Vegas is not exactly up the street from Colorado. So if Chris Bryant ever has to drive to Vegas and his car breaks down, do you know where the best place he should go for auto parts? I have no idea. Well, it's rockauto.com because this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Just go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. All right, Ben, I said I won't keep you too long. We're already at the 30-minute mark. So let's let's hit the Giants offseason a little bit before we get you out of here because I do want to talk about just a little bit because I think the Giants have had a nice offseason so far. Obviously, the Buster Posey news was pretty heartbreaking. We see Chris Bryant leaving now, so there's definitely some firepower in that lineup that's going to be gone next season. But at least from a pitching perspective, the Giants have definitely made some moves. Carlos Rondon, two years, 44 mil, added Matthew Boyd, Carlos Martinez. Uh, Martinez hasn't been as good recently, but you also added Jock Peterson back to the lineup, which should provide some juice. So I would first want to start with, uh, is it Rondon? Rodon? How do you pronounce it? Rodon. 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 Yeah, yeah, I first want to start with him. How do you see him fitting into that Giants rotation? And do you think, how do you feel about him versus Kevin Gosman, basically, is my overall question. I think it's a pretty even swap. There's injury concern with Rodon, but besides that, if he has the type of season that he had in 2021, if he has that again, uh, he does have the right to opt out if he reaches 110 innings. And if he has that type of year again, he's going to be in line for a hundred plus million dollar deal. That's how good his 2021 season was. And we've seen from the likes of Kevin Gosman that, you know, pitchers who perform, who come to San Francisco and perform can go back out on the market and really cash in. So, I mean, he's only 29 years old. He truly had a breakout season for the White Sox. He was in the top three. In, I think he was second in strikeout rate and first in earned run average in the American League when you set the minimum to 130 innings. 2.37 ERA, strikeout rate over 34%. He was striking out more than uh, one every out of every three batters he faced all season long. It was a dominant Cy Young caliber type of season. The only thing that held him short was that he fell off a little bit towards the end of the year with shoulder fatigue. And so he didn't pitch as many innings as he would have liked and his velocity fell and it was very alarming, but he did pitch in the uh, ALDS and his velocity was back up and he was touching a hundred. So uh, the, the word is that it was just fatigue and it wasn't actually an injury. He only had pitched seven and two thirds innings the year prior and just 34 and two thirds innings the year before that, uh, which tells you a lot about the injury history, but at the same time, it makes sense even if he was healthy last year, that he would be some that he would have some fatigue. So I think that if he's healthy, he might even be a little bit better than Kevin Gosman, but health is 
is definitely a big question. And the contract reflects that. It's a two-year, $44 million deal uh, that's guaranteed. And, and like I said, he has the right to opt out after year one if he reaches an innings threshold. Yeah, I like Rodon a lot. I think last year was basically the first time in his career that he was able to put it all together. And part of the reason that he wasn't able to, like you said, is because of health. This is someone that really hadn't pitched a lot in his career. Like over since 2017, he only has one year with over 70 with over 70 innings, and that was 120 innings in 2018. So this is a guy who's really hasn't had a ton of experience at the big league level. Like you go look at his baseball reference. It's a lot of seasons with less than 70 innings pitch. So overall, I think the contract reflects that. Like you said, like if you just look at the annual average salary, it'd be like 22 million a year for a guy with the track record he has. That's a lot, but I'm okay overpaying talented guys who are still on the right side of 30. If it's a short-term deal, two years, I think is perfect for Rodon. He can come in, be, maybe the best pitcher on that staff like Logan Webb was a stud last year but Rodon could be just as good next season maybe even better so I'm very very curious to see how he performs in that rotation and if he does live up to the expectation level then maybe he will opt out after the season and if that happens let's say the best case for Rodon the best case scenario he has you know a fully healthy season 180 innings pitch what we saw last year translates over to that full 180 innings pitch he opts out at the end of the season. Do you think the Giants would be willing to pony up the money and go with a long-term deal with Rodon? Because so far, they do seem kind of hesitant to just hand out these long-term deals because they can get very, uh, you know, they can become very albatrossy very quickly, especially when the guy's on the wrong side of 30. So if this Rodon thing works out this season, can you see the Giants paying up the money or ponying up the money for Rodon? I think it's doubtful. And I mean, the fact that they did not make Kevin Gosman an offer, he said so himself. Like, I, I feel like this is pretty oh, good authority. Yeah. Gosman tweeted it out. He was like, to clear the air, like, to be cleared, they did not make me an offer. So it seems to me that they do not want to give free agent pitchers more than three years. And, and until they do so, I'm going to believe that. Uh, under this new front office that took over in uh, prior to, you know, the 2018 offseason, they've, the longest term deal I think period that they've given out was three years to Anthony DiSclefani so yeah I mean if he has a monster year he's probably looking at if like you said 180 innings and similar performance as last year he might be looking at a bigger contract than Kevin Gosman and so do I think the Giants are going to pay 150 million dollars for a guy with an injury history and uh, you know paying a pitcher into his mid-30s no I don't but are our fans going to want that? Yes, they are. And so that's something we're constantly kind of fighting with here is that people, they really want these guys, but they, those contracts so often don't work out that they feel more comfortable. It seems like just finding the next guy who's a little bit undervalued and can come on a short-term deal because of injury risk and all that. And then the guys who are here for many years are your young guys who come up and are under club control for six years, like a Logan Webb. Yeah, I'm definitely pro. Like I said before, Short term, but the overpay. If you gave me the option of like if Rodon balls out the season and it's either three years at an average annual salary between 30 and 35 million or seven years around 24 to 28 million, I'd rather just pay him the 30, 
30 to 35 million and just do three years because I at least get the best years out of him. I get the best juice. Of course, injuries or other things can happen. He could go in the decline rapidly, but I think it would still be easier to move him off that deal if it's in the short term. As once you start getting to those back years of deal as the player starts to age, it gets a lot harder to move those deals. Like Mike, uh, like the Angels had to hang on to Albert Pujols for a while there because no one wanted to take that fat number for from someone that was, you know, over the age of 36 and not really the guy he once was. So I'm pro, I'm definitely pro giving short-term overpays. Like I want to see more Trevor Bauer type contracts and more Max Scherzer type contracts because I think it is smarter from a team financially to just go all in and say, our window's not that long to win a World Series anyway. Let's just maximize the talent we have right now. And then we can reset again in a couple years and then maybe we re-sign these guys and they could get another fat deal from us. Or maybe we move on. Or maybe you trade them in that third year or whatever. So I kind of like the short-term overpay better than trying to do these long-term deals anyway. Because most of the time, these seven- or eight-year deals, like players, they suck by the last two or three years of these <laughs> deals. Like It's better just go short-term anyway and just get the best years out of these guys. But Rodon wasn't the only big guy. I think the second biggest name that the Giants have added this offseason has been Jock Peterson coming over from the reigning champs world series uh or the reigning champs the atlanta braves almost called them the world series braves i mean they did win the world series how do you feel about jock peterson joining the lineup where is he gonna slide in defensively is he just corner outfield or do you think he's a dh for this giants team i think he'll do both the way that we saw them use the dh in 2020 was they used a lot of different guys and i would expect jock peterson to kind of play some corner outfield some left some right Probably not so much right at Oracle Park. I think they have better options like Mike Yastrzemski and uh, even Lamont Wade might even be better out in right than Peterson. I haven't watched him play a ton of defense since he left the Dodgers, but uh, having the DH definitely helps. And uh, he's going to be a platoon guy like so many guys in this Giants lineup. He's not going to face a lot of lefties as a left-handed hitter himself, but he's going to probably punish righties as I'm sure he did a lot uh, against the D-backs when he was with the Dodgers. I certainly saw a lot of that. Uh, you know, he's just a, he's a threat at the plate and he can slot anywhere into a lineup. I think that's what's in, something that's interesting about him. He's hit leadoff. He, you can make a case certainly for having him in the middle of your lineup and you can hit him towards the end of your lineup. So he's just a nice, flexible piece. And, and again, it's a one-year, $6 million deal. So it's not a big commitment and you're probably going to get solid production. But if it, if it doesn't happen for whatever reason, you move on and and it's just a one year commitment. Yeah. And he's still a solid player. He's still, I know he had the last couple of years have been down for Jock Peterson, but I think if he's right, he's still near 800 OPS guy can still get you 25 to 30 bombs. Like he's still a productive player. I think for $6 million, I think that's a perfect price tag for him. Like I, if the D backs pulled off a deal like that, I would have been pretty happy. But Ben, final question. Do you think there's any big moves coming down in this free agency period for the Giants? Or do you think they're just working more around the margins, more $6 million deals like the the one that they gave to Jock Peterson? Or, you know, Solano's gone at second base. Maybe there's a hole in the infield. Maybe go out there and do a little Trevor Story action and try to get a second baseman. Maybe you move Brandon Crawford over. I mean, the Rockies stole your guy. Maybe you stole their guy. Who knows? <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there, Ben. That's what the people want. The people certainly want more major moves. The Giants had a ton of money coming off the books this offseason, and so far they've kind of just maybe status quoed it a little bit. They brought back guys like Belt and Crawford was extended midseason. Posey, they would have wanted to bring back, but he you know, leaves. And then they bring back a lot of their pitching staff, but add Rodon and Cobb, uh, Alex Cobb. 
so I think that they they make a lot of moves, but I don't know that any more major moves are in the pipeline. They have suggested in recent days that uh, they they are looking at second base because Tommy LaStella is recovering from offseason Achilles surgery, but he should be ready to go near the beginning of the season. So I don't know that they're looking for like, you know, Trevor Story, who's going to just take over a position. They might be looking more at a guy who can uh, fill in in the short term. So I wouldn't expect that they're completely done, but the major moves are probably done. Yeah, I, I got to watch the Giants the rest of this offseason because definitely before the lockouts, like, uh, I think the Giants are going to be in for major regression next season. But I've liked what they've done with the rotation so far. And Jack Peterson's a good signing as well to help out that offense who's lost some really critical pieces this offseason. So I need to see the rest of the offseason before I really give my final take on how the Giants are going to shake out in this NOS division. We already know, we already know the D-backs are probably going to be uh, closer to the bottom, you know, fighting with the Rockies for that 4-5 or five spot. But Ben... Thank you for hopping on today, sir. Where can the people only listening to the audio find you on social media? Just on Twitter. I'm very active, probably more so than my followers want me to be sometimes. But uh, <laughs> at, at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. And where can they find you? Yeah, Ben firing off them hot takes right out on uh, right now on Twitter at Creator Thomas twenty four <laughs> for my personal account, or just look up Lockdown Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. Ben, thank you for hopping on today. I feel like we had to get an extra pod in this week with Freddie Freeman and Chris Bryan. It was like this offseason's been crazy. It's been a fun time, and I'm excited to keep talking about it as we get spring training underway now. Woo! It's a good time. Baseball's around the corner. Opening day should be around the corner too. So really excited for baseball season, Ben. Enjoy the rest of your night and happy St. Patty's Day, sir. You as well. Thanks for having me. That's it for this edition of the Locked On Dimebacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned into today's pod. Come back next week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Had to get a bonus pod in for y'all because the news has been so crazy, so crazy recently. Thank you for making Locked On Dimebacks your first listen every day. Go make on, go make Locked On MLB. What? Just Locked On MLB. I think that's what it is. Go make Locked On MLB with your pal, my pal, Sully Baseball, your second listen of the day. Sorry, guys. I'm a, I'm a little hot, a little sweaty. Uh, the AC is not kicking right now, so I think I'm getting a little delirious at the end of this 40-minute podcast. Come back next week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight, and I'll catch you next time.